0: This morning, we are uh, in Genesis chapter 39. You can go ahead and turn to your your Bibles there. We'll also put it up on the screen if you prefer to read it that way. And what we are studying right now is the story, the very famous story of Joseph. Joseph, um, one of the patriarchs, son of Jacob. Um, And we started last week. We started talking about how uh, the beginning of Joseph's story. And we're going to pick up that story where it continues here in Genesis chapter 39. Um, before we get there, though, I'm going to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a man named Richard. Richard is a Christian. Richard had a, uh, an amazing experience with God um, one day, and he had decided to turn his life over to Jesus. He had repented of his sins. He was trying his best to follow the Lord, um he was a Christian in every sense of the word. He was repentant, living in repentance and faith. He was trying to serve the Lord, trying to follow him, trying to obey Him. But Richard also experienced some severe injustice. One day, uh, Richard was arrested for a crime that he did not commit. Um, he was improperly arrested, and then he was put in jail. And then he, after being in jail, he faced the corruption of the legal system. He saw three different judges. Three different judges saw his case, and although he was clearly innocent, no judge would release him due to their own political motivations and desires to appease their, their uh, supporters. And so Joseph, not Joseph, so Richard spent his life, or a long period of his life, years rotting away in prison, just sitting there in prison, years ticking off of his life. Imagine he had to ask asked the question, you would think he would have asked the question at least, do I have God's favor? You know, I was trying to follow God, but maybe God is punishing me for my sin. Maybe God is is taking away his blessings from me because I do not have enough faith. That story and the story we're going to read this morning might ask, make us question, should we look at our circumstances, look at the hardship of our life or even the good things about our life and see those as a sign of God's favor towards us? Should we look at the good things that happen to say that God is pleased with us, and should we look at the bad things that happen to us to say, hey, God is really disappointed in you right now? Well, I'm going to start with the good news this morning, and I'm going to make it incredibly clear, I'm going to make it as clear as I can, that absolutely that is not the case We have a tendency in our hearts to look at our circumstances and to say, hey, God is not pleased with me or God is pleased with me. But the opposite is actually true. God's favor is not dependent upon your circumstances. Your circumstances are not a sign of God's favor toward you. And the good news is we have a passage this morning that presents a man who is in very terrible circumstances, somewhat similar to the circumstances that Richard was in. And we are able to see behind the curtain, to see how God actually feels towards us in the midst of the hardship of our circumstances. So you can go ahead and turn into Genesis 39. We're going to read the whole chapter together, and then we'll talk about it. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care uh some in place, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She called him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. And he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. (coughs) When that happened, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's, (coughs) king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that um, it reveals to us your heart and, and your, your approach to sinners. We pray, Lord, that we would um, hear from you this morning and that we would grow in our dependence and trust for you um, and our love for you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we got this man, Joseph. Joseph it is, is in some pretty bad circumstances. If you weren't here last week, or you don't know the story for some reason, um, what happened before this? Joseph was the prized child of his father, um, was the favorite son of Jacob. Unfortunately, his 10, ten of his brothers did not like that, um, and they didn't like the way Joseph was acting. So what they did is they took him, bound him, and then sold him into slavery. So Joseph has been betrayed by his own family, has been uh, sold into slavery, and you may have not have noticed this, I didn't mention it last week, but he is sold to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites would have been his cousins. So he is sold by his brother to his cousins, and then his cousins cart him away from the country he grew up in, the country he knows, and all of the people he knows, and drops him off in Egypt, a place where he knows no one, doesn't know the language or the culture or anything like that, and is put as a slave in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He is in charge of the pharaoh's uh, special police force. Um, And he is now this man's slave. So he went from being a cherished son to a lowly slave. He went from being a... um, a man who living in a land he knew to a land he does not know. And even by the end of the story, it gets even worse, because not only is he a slave, but he then is thrown into a terrible prison. Now, if you read this story without the commentary on what the Lord was doing, you might tend to think, oh, God must have been really mad at Joseph. God really hates this guy. You know, you saw that part at the beginning of the story when he was kind of prideful. God must be punishing him for his pride. Um, But this passage doesn't allow us to think that. It pulls back the curtain and it literally tells us about the God's heart towards Joseph in this situation. Look at verse two. Verse two makes it very clear that the Lord was with Joseph. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So you see the Lord's presence with Joseph, but not only his presence. Look at verse 21. Now Joseph is in prison and it says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. He showed him kindness. That's a, In the first service I actually read from the ESV, because I think the ESV translates that word kindness a little bit better. Um, it translates it as steadfast love. He showed steadfast love to Joseph. Um, the word in Hebrew is the word chesed. chesed. Um, and chesed is kind of like the word juicioso in Spanish. It doesn't mean the same thing. But if you're, if you're an English speaker and you are trying to figure out what the word juicioso means, you realize you can't translate it as one single word into English, right? It, creates, it, it conveys this whole concept of the way a person is. If someone is juicioso, you might say, okay, well, they're well-behaved. Yes, that's part of it. But also they're diligent and they do good work. And also they try to be upstanding. They try to do the right thing. Right? There's all these different elements to being chesed. In the same way, chesed doesn't just mean kindness. You know, kindness is like you know helping an old lady across the street. Kindness or chesed means God. The way that God interacts with His people. It means the way that God is covenantally committed to His people. That's the steadfastness of the word. He is covenantally committed to his people. He is is in a relationship with them that he will never break. He will hold on to them no matter what. But it also conveys his love. How deeply he loves his people. Steadfast love. He is deeply committed to Joseph. Even though Joseph's circumstances are terrible, God deeply loves Joseph. Joseph. His favor is on him. Why is God's favor on Joseph? Well, I'll tell you, it's not because of Joseph. Joseph didn't do anything to earn God's favor. He wasn't a particularly um, humble, good boy. He was a, a bit of a tattletale, a bit of a prideful, arrogant boy. Um, he didn't deserve God's favor, but God decides to put his favor on on this family God this is the family that God has chosen by which he is going to institute his kingdom in this world he's going to reverse the curse of the fall through this family and so he has chosen this family and said hey I love this really messed up family and I love Joseph and so my favor is on him it does not get earned by anyone God puts it on him And that's the the shape of the gospel we see here in this passage. Joseph gets shown God's love. Joseph gets shown God's favor. And out of that, Joseph responds faithfully. I think we often tend to see God as retributive. Like we do something good or we do something bad. And God responds to that goodness or badness by either making bad things happen to us or good things happen to us, or at least maybe making us, um, being angry at us or being disappointed with us if we do good things or bad things. Um, But this is not what this passage passage teaches us about the character of God. Rather, actually, this passage shows us the heart of the gospel. God always moves first with his favor. God comes to us. God comes to Joseph with his love and with his favor, although it is undeserved. And then we, Joseph in this case, responds to God's love towards him. This morning, there's good news for you. If you are someone who is in Jesus, who knows Jesus, who is uh, committed to Jesus, that no matter what your circumstances are, you can be certain that God's favor, God's love rests on you. No matter the circumstances of your life, because of what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross, because of that, you can know that God's love rests on you. You have God's favor and I hope that's an encouragement to you because I know that um, it's, it's, it's a really common lie the, the devil likes to tell us, is that your, your circumstances reveal to you God's favor or not favor to, or lack of favor toward to you. But here's the good news about this sermon. The other part of the good news is that God not only gives us his favor, God calls us and he calls Joseph here to be a part of his mission to be a part of what he is doing in the world, to be a part of his restorative work. And so this morning, I want to make this very clear up front. We're going to talk a lot about what it means to be faithful to the Lord. But I started here with the gospel that God's favor is already on you. So as we talk about being faithful to the Lord through our service and through our holiness, those are our two points this morning, through our service and through our holiness, I want you not to hear it as, okay, I need to do this in order to be a good Christian. I want you to think of this as, God has put his favor on me. I I know how deeply he loves me. I want to serve him. And the good news is, actually, we find a lot of joy In being a part of God's mission. Every human, whether you know it or not, every human being on this planet longs for two things. They long to be loved, okay, and then we can all relate to this, and we all long to be significant, to be loved and to be significant, right? We all want to know that somebody, ultimately God, loves us. We want to feel loved. How important it is for you to feel loved by those around you. It's very important. But not only that, we want to feel like our life has purpose. Like our life means something. Like we have um, a greater, there's something bigger than us that we are a part of. We long for that, whether we acknowledge it or not, that is in our hearts. And the good news is God gives us both of them. He shows us His favor and He gives us a purpose. He gives us significance. And when we gain significance, when we are invited into this, um, this uh, mission that God is on, your pastors to be on mission. Well, we long for you guys to gain a glimpse of the mission God has called you to. He wants you to come to church. He wants you to hear the gospel. But he also wants you to be a part of what he is doing in this city and throughout the world. So how do we be a part of this mission? Two ways, by according to this passage at least. There's a bunch of ways, but we're going to be talking this morning about service and holiness. Service and holiness. Um, service. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at what Joseph is doing right here. So Joseph um, has these terrible things happening to him. Um, but in the midst of it, what we see here in the house of Potiphar and then later in the prison, that God has given him an opportunity. Has given him an opportunity to serve those around him. Right? And that's what I want us to see. I want us to, instead of looking at our circumstances as a sign of God's favor towards us, I want us to look at our circumstances, good or bad, as the opportunity that God has currently given us right now to be a picture of him to the world. Joseph particularly, particularly is given this opportunity to serve his master. And what does the Lord do? The Lord gives Joseph all kinds of success. Um, which, you know, maybe you've been in a different church where they've basically told you if you follow God, you will get success. We are not promising that you will have material success if you follow the Lord. But what you'll notice here is that the success that Joseph is given by God is given to him not for himself, but is given for, to him so that he can bless the house of Potiphar with it. All the blessings that are given to Joseph are for Potiphar's family. And what does Potiphar notice? This is really important. Potiphar doesn't look at Joseph and say, oh man, Joseph is awesome. He says, this is what it says, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands. God causes Joseph to succeed, but Potiphar reaps the benefits, and in doing so, Potiphar, through Joseph, gets a picture of the living God. He sees the Lord. He encounters God through Joseph, through the way that Joseph worked hard, the ways that he was faithful, but ultimately through the ways that Joseph had the favor of the Lord on him. The Lord used Joseph to reveal himself to Potiphar and to his family. and You have to imagine to probably many of the ruling class in Egypt at that time. Where does the Lord have you right now? And what situation do you find yourself in? I know some of you are in really difficult circumstances. Others of you are in relatively stable ones, um, good ones, some sort of mixture of good and bad. Wherever it is that God has put you, who is there? Who is the God put in your life for you to serve? Now what do I mean by service? Well, when I'm talking about serving others, serving those around us, you guys are probably not servants of um, someone. You're probably not slaves. I I hope not. Um, But what I mean is that you get to be a blessing to those around you. The people you are around, you are called by God to be there and to be a picture of Jesus, not to be Jesus, but to be someone who points to Jesus amongst other people. By blessing them, by seeking their good, by seeking their benefit, by seeking their well-being, by seeking to create flourishing and the places where you find yourself. So whether you are a teacher or you are a, uh, work at an embassy or you work at a company or um, you're a stay-at-home mom or you are out of work or wherever it is that God has you right now, there are people in your life that God has called you to seek their flourishing, to seek their good. Why? So that you can point them to Jesus. How do we do this? We do this by being people who know what Christ has done for us. Right? The goal isn't to go out there and make people think, oh, look how great of a person I am. I do such good things for people. But it's to be people who know how much God has given for us, to know that God has been willing to give up his son for us, to know that God was willing to become a man and die and suffer for us. When we know that, when we know how deep the God is, love is for us and how undeserving we are for it, it causes us, it makes us desire to be that for other people, to love people in the way that God has loved us. So it's a self-sacrificial love. It's a self-demeaning love. It's not about our glory, it's about His. And as we do that, that will give us opportunities not only to demonstrate the grace of God, but will also give us opportunities to talk about it. As you walk through your life, if someone notices that you are incredibly humble, and they notice that you have, are dependent on Jesus, they will not want to know about it because they will want a piece of that. And you'll have the opportunity to share it with them. Also, think about this. Many of us here are living in a culture that is not our own. We're very much like Joseph. We are coming from um, another continent. I look around this room, and I see people from probably all the continents except for Antarctica. Anyone? Um, all the continents sitting here in this. You guys have been brought from all these different cultures and you are coming here to live in Bogota. Some of you are Bogotano, I recognize this. Come here to live in Bogota. You are just like Joseph. Joseph has been taken out of his culture, out of the places he knows and he's familiar and he's been brought to Egypt, a place where he's unfamiliar and, he's done, and God has done so to allow him to be not a picture of what it's like to live in Hebrew land, but he's been come to see, show them what it is a picture to look like Show them a picture of what it looks like to live as someone who is a follower of the true and living God. You guys have that opportunity. The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is talking to the people of Israel when they are about to go into exile. And he says to them, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city in which you dwell. For us, as we have come to live here, let us be people who seek the peace and the prosperity of this city, of this culture, of the people who live around it. Not to import our culture here, but to import the culture of the kingdom of God um, here that we have experienced, that has graciously rescued us. Let us share it with other people through the way we interact with others. But God not only calls us to service in this passage, He also shows us what it looks like to live in holiness. As Joseph continues working for Potiphar here, Potiphar's wife, takes an interest in Joseph. Uh, Joseph's very handsome. And she starts to make advances toward him. And uh, you got to imagine that for Joseph, on one hand, there's a lot of temptation here, right? There's temptation in two ways that I see and maybe more. One, you have the sexual temptation of this woman who's making very clear advances towards him. And the second, perhaps, is, um, is the fact that this is the, the, the homeowner's wife. You know, if he can get in with her, he can probably um, get some extra advantages and privileges for himself. Um, but it's not just temptation. What's going on here is even even more uh, is even more dark. You could say it's a form of abuse. It's coercion. This lady, okay. Sometimes sometimes this passage has been poorly preached to make it look like you know Joseph is uh, represents men and men just need to make sure that they aren't. Um, tempted by women and women are a threat to men's uh, purity and they need to be really careful around women. I don't think that's a good way to preach this passage. This passage is not about women being a threat. In fact, it's a passage about authority being misused, which unfortunately is done often by men. Authority being misused in order to coerce someone into doing something that they want them to do. In this case, this wife has all the power Joseph knows that if he does not go along with what she is saying, he could lose everything. He's in this terrible, terrible situation. This wife, this mom, he knows that when this woman threatens or basically is asking him to sleep with her, she's saying, if you don't, I can make terrible things happen to you. This is abuse, this is coercion. But by the grace of God, not because Joseph is particularly moral, we know that from earlier passages, but by the grace of God, God gives Joseph the grace to withstand it and to be willing to accept the consequences of living the holy life, even when it doesn't particularly seem to benefit him in the moment. What does he say to her? What does he say to her? uh, to respond to her advances in the way she wants. the first, he knows the great kindness that Potiphar has shown to him. Potiphar has been so kind and loving towards him, has given him love and significance, has given him a purpose in the house. He is loyal to Potiphar. He knows that Potiphar is a good man, and he wants to be respect. He wants to respect his master. And then the second reason is actually the same. He says, how could I sin and do this wickedness against God? In the same way, Joseph knew how God, the God of the universe, had given him love and significance even when he did not deserve it. And to to sin, to go after other things that are not God, would be a betrayal of that relationship. He knew deeply God's love for him, and because of how deeply he knew God's love for him, he longed to live loyally who is God. That's what holiness is. That's what holiness is for us even. Holiness isn't some sort of self-righteousness. Holiness is knowing that God is way better than anything else. Knowing that the love that God has for us drives great loyalty. When you love someone and that person shows great love to you, nothing else you want more than to love them even more. You want to build that relationship. We love to love those who love us. When we know God's love for us, it drives us to long to be loyal to Him, to long to love Him, to long to obey Him. And it means that even when it seems that it would be more advantageous on a earthly level to go to, towards something else, something wrong or something, uh, something sinful, we know, because we know, how, we know deeply our God, that he's way better, and so we trust him, and we don't do it, even if the circumstances mean uh, something bad. It means living obediently, right? For all of us, this means that we live obediently to God, even when we have a desire to do something else. Like there's our, our sin, our heart drives us to want something else. We trust that God knows better than we do. It also means living with integrity, and your businesses and your work and your lives and your relationships. Do you live as someone with integrity? Because integrity means doing the right thing, whether that is the what other people want you to do or whether they're not even watching. Right? Integrity means living responsibly, doing your jobs with honesty, interacting with people with honesty, even with when it might hurt you on an earthly level. Living obediently did not lead to great circumstances for Joseph. It didn't. He ended up in prison because of it. He's obedient. In the midst of this coercion, he says no. And the wife um, takes his jacket and then frames him. By the way, I don't know if you guys know, Joseph seems to have a really bad luck with jackets. I don't know. His cloaks keep getting stolen by different people. I thought about that when I was reading it. Not really important. Um... Living with integrity might not reward you in the ways that the earth values rewards. It's true. If you live with integrity in your job, you may not get that promotion that the person who stepped on top of you to get it um, would. If you live with integrity, um, you may be disliked by some people. If you live with integrity... Might not work out for you in some ways, but when you live with integrity, knowing what God has done for you, it grows your dependence on the Lord, and it also grows your ability to find contentment in Him in the midst of any and every situation. It's far more lasting, far more lasting than any other benefit you could get. Live in holiness. Let me, let me be clear what I'm not talking about. What I'm not talking about, as I've mentioned before, is self righteousness, right? Sometimes, um, if you hear the word like holy or pious, you might imagine someone who's a Christian, but they are very law oriented. They're very oriented with themselves and the way that they obey God very well. Or maybe you're like this. I mean, I have a tendency to be like this too. I'm not just talking about them out there. I'm talking about us. We have a tendency to be like, hey, my self-righteousness is what's going to justify me. You know, I'm going to do the right thing so that I can be proud, so that I can feel like I'm a good person, so that I can get other people to respect me and to like me. But that is not what we're talking about here. In fact, When we look in the New Testament, Jesus is much harsher on people who are self-righteous than people who are desperate sinners, like prostitutes, right? Much harsher on the self-righteous than prostitutes. But rather, true holiness, the holiness that we're talking about this morning, is Christ-centered holiness, holiness that recognizes that you have a God who loves you, and he has given you grace even though you absolutely do not deserve it. You do not deserve God's love. You do not deserve God's favor. You are a desperate sinner who desperately needs Jesus. But you know that God has given you that love and you long to live as his child. You long to live in respect of him because you know he is good and because you trust him. It's Christ-centered, humble, dependent holiness. And the whole reason we're living this way isn't to point to ourselves, it's to point other people to Jesus. This is what Peter is talking about in his letter, First Peter. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What he's saying is we should be living in a way that points other people to Jesus so that they will glorify God, so they will know that he is the best thing. He is far better than earthly rewards. Let me make a side note too. If you want to live a holy life, one of the key elements as a Christian and living a holy life is being someone who is repentant, okay? Holiness isn't making sure you do everything right all the time because you will not be able to, as we've talked about many times in this church. But Living, whole, living a repentant life means when you do fail, when you do find yourself being selfish, when you do see look at your motivation, you see how you have hurt someone else, how you have done something wrong, you are someone who is quick to repent, who is quick to acknowledge that you are wrong, who is quick to go to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry to fix my reputation. Not, I'm sorry to make excuses, but hey, what I did was really selfish and wrong and it hurts you and i can't make it up to you i just need your forgiveness a christian when a christian does that when you do that in a uh, in a non-christian environment um i think you will surprise some people repentance is a very you can only truly repent if you know that your value isn't in your actions you can only truly repent if you know that your value is in jesus The story I told about Richard at the beginning of the story, the man who has been imprisoned falsely and saw three different judges and rotted away in prison. It's a true story, um, but uh, his name wasn't Richard. It's a story of the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul went to prison unjustly. He saw Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. None of these judges um, would release him. For their various reasons. Eventually, he went to Roman courts as well, um, rotted away in prison for many, many years. And you think, oh, he's probably thinking that God, why would God do this to me? I've been trying to follow him for so long. Why would he do this to me? But that is not what he did. In fact, the Apostle Paul rejoiced. We have his letter to the Philippians, which he wrote while in prison. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul was able to rejoice in the midst of prison because he knew there was no greater joy than being where God had you and to be a part of his mission in that place. Paul knew deeply that he had God's favor. Paul did not doubt that God loved him when he was in prison. Instead, he saw being in prison as an opportunity to be a witness to a people who wouldn't have heard the gospel otherwise. He says even the palace guard knows that I'm in chains for Christ. He has this opportunity to witness to government officials like Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. He has this opportunity to witness to his guards. He has this opportunity to live a servant, servant servant-hearted and holy life in the midst of difficult situations which can do nothing else but point people to something beyond himself, point people to Jesus. Ultimately, Paul was able to do this because he knew Jesus. He knew the God of the universe, he knew the God who had become man, who had given himself up for us all, who had been falsely imprisoned, who had been uh, who had suffered, who had died. He knew that this man, the man Jesus, was the man who was was God himself, the one who, on whom God's favor was fully on. And if this man, if this if this man could suffer and die, then of course in my suffering God's favor is still on me. He knew that Jesus had died so that the world could be reconciled to God again, so that the world would once again know their king, so the world would once again worship God. And Paul knew that he had been invited to be a part of this mission, and nothing could give him greater joy than that. Christians, wherever you are in your life right now, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, God has invited you has given you a purpose. He said, hey, be a part of my mission. Look to the people around you. Look how you can serve them from a place of humble dependence. And look how you can live a holy and repentant God-Christ-centered life around them so that others might also experience the joy that you have experienced in knowing Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for uh, these stories, the story of Joseph that, that just just rings of, of reality, of the difficult nature of being a follower of you, but also um, the joy that you give us in the midst of suffering. Um, thank you, Lord, for not um, pretending like our lives are all warm and fuzzy all the time, but for being a God who not only... Uh, is honest about the suffering we will go through but is willing to suffer with us for us. Pray Lord that we would know you deeply and that we would be encouraged as we go forward in the mission you have called us to. Pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogotá.org.